0: Listening to Mississippi's most unapologetically conservative podcast, where the truth is told and liberals are exposed. Liberals are exposed. Welcome to Mississippi Matters with your host, Will McLeod. This podcast is about educating you on politics from Mississippi to Washington, D.C. So strap in and enjoy the show. And now, your host, Will McLeod.
1: And we're back, and we're doing exactly what we do best, and that is educating our listeners. We want to welcome you to today's show, and uh, we've got a lot in store for you. We have a special guest that's calling in all the way from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, Raymond Brooks. He is running for Mississippi House District 118, and that's going to be there in the uh, Harrison County uh, area. And I think we've got Mr. Brooks here on the line. Mr. Brooks, how are you today?
2: I'm doing well, sir. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So it looks like you are going to be running for uh, House District uh, 118. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them, to, tell them a little bit about your background and your occupation and uh, what all you're going to bring to the table.
2: Sure. You know, I, I tell you, I can't tell you how honored I am to be able to campaign for a position like this and have an opportunity to represent the uh, Gulfport citizens in our state capital. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh first of all, I'm a God-fearing Christian and a constitutional conservative. I'm married to my wonderful wife, Jill Conwell Brooks, and a proud father and grandfather. Uh, I have been a public servant in the city for over 21 years as a law enforcement officer. In that time I've served in collateral duties such as a school resource officer for the Gulfport School District and Explorer Advisor for our police explorers post 308 and 310 as a member of our Gulfport Police Marine Patrol Unit and as a Gulfport Police SWAT Sniper. I'm currently serving as a warrants officer in our city's municipal court. Um, our military family was basically transferred here from Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines to Kiefer back in 1978. We've been here ever since. Our parents purchased a home in Ocean Springs where we grew up and uh, attended school. I'm the second of four children born to James and Petita Brooks and a graduate of St. Martin High School, class of 1985. I later attended Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College and USM. I've lived on the coast here for over 45 years and resided in the city of Gulfport for over 20, uh, respectfully serving my community in my law enforcement career. And that's that's kind of it in a button.
1: <laughs> All righty. So you, you've decided to mount a challenge against... uh Incumbent Greg Haney, uh, who is also a Republican. And uh, if our research uh, is correct about Mr. Haney, let's see here. He's been in the uh, – he's been in this position since 2018, I guess it is.
2: Uh, he's actually in his third term. Um,
1: so
2: he's he's been – he's going on 10 – 10, 11 years,
1: maybe. All right. So he's coming up on 12 years then, it looks like, maybe. Yes, sir. Yes. All right. And so let, let me ask you a question. What What is it that you feel that uh, you bring to the table uh, that will better benefit the uh, constituents of District 118?
2: Well, I'm definitely a fighter. As a representative for this district, I intend to fight for our conservative values as well as our God-given and constitutional rights. Um, I definitely plan to give Gulfport a stronger voice in Jackson and represent this district with the integrity and and respect it deserves. Uh, And that's what I believe we need. We need people in office that have a conscience and they're willing to stand for the people that we are elected by.
1: Amen. You know, it seems to be that, that in the Republican Party here in the state of Mississippi, you have a lot of men and women that are running as Republicans but they're not voting true to the Republican platform. They're, they're telling their constituency that they're conservatives, but they are not legislating as conservatives. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you plan to do to bring true conservatism to that House seat and what you believe true conservatism is all about.
2: Well, um I'm a, a true conservative in my beliefs and Constitutionist to my core, as well as a faithful man of God. You know, I, and I have to put blame right where it's actually due, and, and it's our fault that these people are in office. It's our fault that we allow people that do not represent our our political values, or and while they're they're in in office, we have opportunities to take them out. And it's it's strictly due to voter apathy that we don't make that happen. You know, I, when I campaign, I, I talk to a lot of people, and and it's it, it's almost embarrassing when I hear people say, you know, I'm I'm just not really into politics. And that that to me, is the worst thing that you can say as an American citizen, absolutely, because politics has everything to do with you, everything to do with you in the way that you're that you live. If you care about how your kids are going to be raised and, and the country that's going to be here for them after you're gone, you need to stand up and pay attention to what's going on, not only in in, in your neighborhood, but in, in your community, in your city, in your state, in, and in your nation. Pay attention to what these people are saying and believe what they're saying and doing and hold, hold their feet to the fire. If, if, a conserv- if somebody runs on a conservative platform and you have that they are. It's very blatant. It's very obvious that they are coming out and they are not pushing supporting legislation that holds conservative values. We need to be putting them out, and, and that's you know that's part of the problem. We the voter apathy doesn't do that. That's you know why one of the reasons I'm running is I'm hoping we will be able to actually implement some type of term limits, and and you know that's one of the big arguments I get. People will say, well, we have automatic term limits. It's called voting every couple of years. Well, you know what? People don't show up. We we need to find other ways to enforce that because we need to find a way to get true representation to each one of these offices. And and the process that we've been using in the past is not working. It's not working for we the people, and it's not working for this state. So I, I think we need to do things a little bit differently, and I'm here to do that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I want to hone in on, you had mentioned a while ago, being a man of God, and I believe that people forget across this nation and around this state that this country was undeniably founded by God-fearing Christian men and women. There's a narrative. So right. There's a narrative out there that that uh, Christians need to stay away from politics because it's too controversial and because it's too divisive and the Christians and 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 pastors across this nation need to just stay away from 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 the political issues uh, because it it's not um it's not edifying to the body of Christ and and I hear all these things because I'm a full-time pastor I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years and so uh as a pastor, I, I get this from, from all types of people. You 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 should just stay out of it and just tell people about Jesus. Jesus wasn't involved in politics. But people fail to realize this is not true. This is not true. It's the manner in which we're involved. See, we have a voice, we have influence. As Christians around this nation, as Christians in this state, we have a voice, we have influence that we can use when it comes to dealing with these public officials. Just sitting by and being quiet is not going to get the job done because they're going to fight. The liberals of this country are going to fight and they look to destroy everything that we stand for as Christian conservatives. They're not looking to destroy our agenda. They're looking to destroy us as individuals.
2: You're absolutely right. And, and I couldn't disagree with that sentiment either, that Christians need to stay out of politics. <laughs> the I think it's very important that pastors across this nation, I mean, their job is not only to feed their flock with the Word of God, but they're, they are responsible for leading their people in, in the right direction. Absolutely. And keeping them involved in what's going around in the community absolutely has everything to do with it. Um, you have to know what's going on in politics, and, and to, to shy away from that is, is just shameful in, in itself.
1: Well, and, and I you think— know, our,
2: our, Go ahead. I, I was going to say our Republican Party needs fighters who are God-fearing Christians. We need more of that. Absolutely. We don't need more politicians who are just individuals who believe that they should be there— Because they have the experience or, or, you know, whatever excuse they use to stay in office for as long as they do. We need people who are willing to fight to protect our sovereignty, our Constitution, and all of our freedoms from, from overreaching and blowing government and those that wish to destroy this nation.
1: Absolutely. I'm a big history buff, and I pride myself on history. And as a pastor, I tell people, not only do we need a spiritual revival. An awakening in this country, but we also need a revival of history. We need a true revival. We need to refamiliarize ourselves with history, and see that's what the liberal agenda is seeking to do—to remove, rewrite, and eradicate history. They want to remove, and they've
2: done it with with some bit of success as well. I mean, they—we've got people across this nation who are agreeing to. Tear down statues, remove pictures, tear down flags. Uh, I mean, all of these things that represent history and, and, you know, the good and the bad. Absolutely. And it's always been said, you know, to, in order to progress and move forward, you need to remember and, you know, what mistakes you made so that you don't make those same mistakes again. This country has come so far, so far from those times back 50, 60 years ago. You know, we, we've we've actually come to a, a point where I thought racism was almost non-existent, and this was prior to the Obama administration. And and all of a sudden, it starts getting hashed back up, and it's like this. You know, the stuff that they're saying just isn't true. Absolutely. But you know, if if you want to find, um, if you want to find the reason to gripe about something, I mean, you absolutely will, um, and that's that's just. Embarrassing
1: in, in in itself. Well, and it's because we've allowed them to to continue to propagate the, this false narrative. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Yes, America is not without its its baggage. Okay, America, we've 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 had some atrocious times in this country. There were injustices. Absolutely. There were things that were done in this country from, from the from the things that that happened to the Native Americans. Uh, to the issue of slavery and and, and how we treated women and but, but we have to remember America, America did not invent slavery. Uh, America did not invent suppression of women. Uh, America was not the originator of any of these institutions that, 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 that were completely horrible in their nature. There's no country, that is without blame. There's no country that that doesn't have something in its past that, that was despicable. But in spite of all of these things that happened, God has kept his hand upon these United States. God has anointed this nation to be a bastion of truth and revival and evangelism. We are the most benevolent country on the face of the planet. And all this happened. I couldn't
2: agree with you more.
1: And all of this happened by the goodness and the grace of God Himself. I believe that God ordained this nation for such a time as this. And, and I want to read something to you. I, I, I say this almost every every broadcast, but I can't get away from it because when I read the 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 the, the history. Of this nation, when I read about the lives and the convictions of our founding fathers, it absolutely stirs my soul. Brother, I can't help but get chills and, and weep and shed tears at, at, at some of the things that these men had stated. But listen to this John Hancock, the, we're talking about the first man to sign the Declaration of Independence. This is what he states. Resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence upon God. Nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. This was a founding father who said we have an obligation and a social and moral duty as Christians to defend these, these freedoms and rights that man did not give them, but God gave us those. Our freedoms and our liberties came from God Himself, not from not from the Constitution. The Constitution is there to defend our God given rights. But our rights come from God and not man. And so the absurd idea that Christians should just stand aside, it's a spit in the face of our founding fathers. Because that's what this nation was built on, is godly conviction.
2: Yes, and I I think you hit it on the head when you said that the liberal side is trying to destroy that. They are basically tearing down those values, all the things that our founding fathers stood for, they are chipping away at them a little bit at a time hoping that this the mass majority will not even notice they confuse you with all their lies with all their accusations and they keep same people on their heels constantly trying to defend themselves of some of the insanity that they come up with yes instead of just fighting for what we believe in It's like i said it's time for a change it's time for us to, to stop taking the backside of all of these arguments. And we need to start standing up and saying, we are done with this. We're done with this insanity. We're going to start standing up for what we know is right. And we're going to fight to protect our American values and our American way of life. Yes. Regardless of what they say.
1: I've got to ask you a question. Yes. sir. In this nation, you mentioned it a while ago. We had come to a a most beautiful place in this country where the issue of racism, except for in the extreme corners, was practically non-existent. Mississippi itself had become a haven uh, 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 of truth and respect. Uh, 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 we were one of the first states to to really embrace inter, uh, interracial relationships and, and and all of these things. We we didn't have these these issues, but then all of a sudden, the nation elects Barack Obama, and all of a sudden we have pitted ourselves against each other. and 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 the tragedy is, is that the way conservatism has been defined and labeled by the left. But 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 tell me your thoughts on this, but true conservatism is inclusive. True conservatism allows for prosperity for all peoples. True conservatism is tolerant. True conservatism allows for freedom of worship regardless of one's religious persuasion. True conservatism holds each individual responsible for their own future and the path that they and their family should take. True conservatism defends personal conviction even when we disagree. The left seeks to destroy, but true conservatism looks to preserve. It looks to defend you even when you don't agree with us. We defend your right to disagree. But yet the message of true conservatism is being destroyed. It's being, it's being slandered. And, and, and so you, as an as a, as a African-American running on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, as a Republican, talk to me a little bit about that. Do, do, do you get any pushback what, what in the social climate in which we're living? What is it like being a conservative black male standing for godly principle, conservative values uh, in in the social climate that we face?
2: Well, I I can tell you that um, I've had a few trials and tribulations in my life growing up. Um, I've experienced true racism firsthand, as you might imagine. And this was a difficult thing for me as a younger man who never truly saw skin color as a mi- means to dislike or hate someone. I am uh, from that generation who believes in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, and his words ring true today. Uh, his uh, dream, uh, I have a dream, um, that his four little children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Absolutely, That's the way I've always looked at people. And when, when Dr. King was speaking of that, he was talking about a future, generations to come. And, and as I said, you know, we as a modern society, we have progressed and we've come so far from those times. Only to see today, this current political party attempting to erase its milestones. Um, you know, it's what you said, you know, as, as a black Republican here, that is That can go a very long way in, I think, mending some fences in this state, in this city. There are many more black Republicans in this state than, than people really realize. But because of the, the uh, what would I call it? Um, The I, I guess, you know, the, the perception that we get from certain demographic areas that they would rather just vote Republican but not represent as Republicans, if you know what I mean. Right. They they will they will give Republicans their vote. They will vote conservative every chance they get, but they will not put a sign in their yard, they will not join a Republican club or go to Republican meetings or go to or see a Republican candidate uh, come speak and hear what they have to say I've been to many many areas in this state and was given the opportunity to speak in both Republican and Democrat crowds and it was embarrassing you know for me whenever you know in in the Democrat or liberal crowds Second, they hear something they don't like from a Republican, they want to shut you down. They either walk out and they don't want to hear anything else or they want to scream and shout you down because they, and they don't want to hear anything else that they have to say. I don't know where we've gotten in this nation where we can't ask whatever letter inside your name, where we can't come to a, a table and sit down and talk rationally to each other about different points of view. That used to be a thing. You know, Republicans and and Democrats can have a conversation. But now it's the the separation is so far. I I just I I feel like it's getting to the point where it's not going to be mendable. And and I I pray that that's not the case. I hope that we can. I hope that I can be a catalyst in doing that in my area, but showing that, you know, it's not this racist party that, that we're painted to be. We fight for a very simple common sense core value that should make sense to anyone. You know, we, we, we want to be able to live and have our liberties and do as we please to pursue happiness in this, in this nation. We, we don't believe in killing babies. You know, we, we want to be able to keep our taxes as low as possible and not fund other, other countries. It's very simple, you know, in, in our beliefs, in our core values. And the argument on the other side just makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. So getting, getting them to come back to the table and, and have that conversation, I don't think it falls on our side because we are there. We're there at the table. But when it comes to politics, in in whether it's in Jackson, whether it's in Washington, D.C., I don't think that you should give up your values to reach across the aisle and make a deal with somebody who has absolutely no values that you do, who actually has the opposite values that you do, but you're going to work to make something happen. I, I don't think that that's where we need to be. I think that's one of the changes we need to make in the Republican Party. We need to we need to stand steadfastly on our values, on our core values, on what we believe in and fight for it starting now. I mean, we've we've been on the defense for too long. It's time to step step up and fight for it.
1: Absolutely. You know, it seems in a lot of ways you you've you've as a conservative black man, you, you you've had an almost uphill battle uh all the way through, not only dealing with with the racism and, and dealing with, with the uh the atrocities of, of Mississippi's past, but then becoming a, a conservative, God fearing man, uh embracing conservatism. Uh, which is not very popular in the African-American community, but you're also a law enforcement officer. And as a law enforcement officer, being a conservative black man, what what are your thoughts and what are your feelings uh, when it comes to the things that we see happen across our country? And, And we all understand that all law enforcement officers are not bad people. They're not all good, but they're not all bad. But where does that put you at when you see things like what's taken place in Rankin County? Now, as a resident of Rankin County, knowing our sheriff personally, Brian Bailey, but but for these stories that have come out where Rankin County deputies have taken and, and, and put guns in the mouths of young black men, and beat them and abused them and and mistreated them and violated their civil rights in one instance shot the man in the mouth with with a firearm beat him severely yeah. and yet no charges that, have been brought up against him where, 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 where does that put you at when 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 you when you have a brotherhood of blue and you've made a career out of this but yet you see these atrocities happening to innocent black men and women and and, and it's there it it's, it it's it's not like the left is trying to make it out where where it it's just uh a something that that that, that every white law enforcement officer is out there doing but 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 these things are taking place and then the other side of that of that coin is that you see the disdain um, amongst african american males it, 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 young men that that have an and and uh, a, a hatred for law enforcement and, and they're lashing out and 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 it, it's just such a mess what where, where does that put you at and and what do you feel that you can do here in the state of mississippi to bring resolve to, to this because I'll be honest with you as a as a conservative white male, as a pastor of a multicultural church, um, as a native of the Mississippi Gulf Coast growing up in Pascagoula, Mississippi uh, I, I, I'm telling you some of these things it's heart-wrenching because uh, we, we have a misguided youth but at the same time I, I look at some of these law enforcement officers and and and, and some of the things that they are doing, uh, it, it, it w- Talk to us a little bit about that and, and tell us what 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 are some answers? What are some things that we can do to try to mend this?
2: Well, you know, there's no excuse for some of the atrocities that we've seen happen across this nation. Uh, I hate the, the fact that it was blown up in the way that it was. To be used as a, a racial flag for the Democrat Party, saying that it's just happening to black black people. Uh, it, you know, a bad cop is a bad cop, and there's there's no other way around that. I've been fortunate to work with some of the best officers I've ever met in my life. Um, I, I would go toe to toe with you know with them in my corner in almost any instance because I know the training that we get. And I know the kind of core values that the people I work with and and the way that our department vets our officers, it goes a long way. It's unfortunate, but that doesn't happen everywhere in this nation or everywhere even in this state. Um, So, you know, that's that's one of the things we'll have to look at. Um, Training is definitely something that I think goes a long way with any type of profession. Continue training. Um, this world evolves; our societies evolve almost on a daily basis. And as law enforcement officers, you have to be able to evolve right along with it, and and move in the same direction and deal with the situations of that time as they come along in the best way that you possibly can. Um, being being a law enforcement officer for as long as I have. It's you know I've learned I've learned so much more about myself about my community about you know the the general public as um, as far as you know seeing some of the worst atrocities that our neighbors can in, inflict on each other I've also seen some of the best behaviors I've ever seen in in human nature so. Is there a quick way to fix it? No, I, I don't think we got to this point overnight. It was just something that that was, I would say, overlooked in the training that we needed uh, across this nation. There needs to be a more uniformed way of, of policing. Uh, maybe something similar to the way the military is. The, the military has a standard across, you know, their their entire their entire forces. So maybe it's something that needs to be uh, spread across the entire nation. It's going to have a a unified effort to make sure that the same treatment is is given um, across the nation to each one of these cities and each one of these these states.
1: Let me ask you a question. Uh, In your experience uh, being in law enforcement, is it the discretion of each Department as to what uh, training they adhere to and what they see as uh, being important is—is it—is it an objective approach or is it more subjective in that uh, the top brass pretty much decides what it is that that's needed throughout that department?
2: Well, I, I think there's a minimum standard regardless of what agency it is, I, and and that's I think is something that probably needs to be raised. Um, the continued training. Um, that's that's available out there. Usually, comes at a cost, and and I know a lot of these agencies can't afford to, you know, send their officers to these trainings and have those officers bring it back to their department. Again, that's that's where we went in the wrong direction when they started talking about this: defund the police. They're taking money away. Things that we could be doing to train our officers to be better officers. They decided to take that money away. And if you look at Portland, if you look at Seattle, you see the result of that exact thing. Um, you you end up with officers who are not willing to to fight for their citizens, who or, or either just you know decide I- I'm not doing this anymore. So now you have lack and in, in officer numbers in your community. You don't have enough officers to police that community. And what happens w- w- when you have that situation? It's comes to chaos it was predictable from the start when they first started saying it that this is what was going to be the end result and it played out in front of the whole world of course they're trying to backtrack all that now but is it too late you've already made a stand you 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 brought an evil light over law enforcement to this nation and now you want to try to take that back it's not that easy it's just like making a bad accusation against one of your neighbors. You can make the accusation whether it's true or not, but if it's bad enough, it's going to stick for a long time. And it's, it's going to take a long time to undo that damage. That's what's happening to our, to our nation now with our law enforcement. And I think fixing that is it's going to take a wholesale effort of everybody working together to try to make that work. There's so much, like you said, there's so much hate. There's so much disdain for law enforcement officers now. There's there's just almost no way to bring that back overnight. It's going to take a lot of work to repair the damage that that party has, has imposed on law enforcement across this nation.
1: Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. Um, government, our government, our nation built a government that was made up of common men and women, what we would call the blue-collar sector of society. And what we have turned into is we, we have created a monster that must be fed. We have created pathways for career politicians, people that all they've ever done is work for the government. And so they become detached. They don't understand what it's like to make Friday payroll. They don't understand what it's like to try to create a business. Uh, they, they, they they are a part of this system that has been created. And men and women like yourself that, that didn't come up in politics, but now are saying, hey, there's a need for someone like me to step in and intervene and bring something else to the table. Let let me ask you this. With that background in law enforcement, do you think that it's time for the legislature to step in and say, hey, we need to create legislation where we get all these law enforcement agencies in this state on the same page, where we increase the standards for training, where, where we discuss the issues instead of shying away from them and politicizing them, getting back to policies of community policing where we say, hey, we've got to go into the community. We've got to, to to let them know what our message is, and it's to help and not hurt, and that there are places and things in order to hold officers accountable for their actions. Do, do you think that the legislature can do something to say, hey, we can do better, folks? We, we we need to we need to we need to uh uh set the bar higher than what's being done uh and we, we need to bring more resources we need to bring more training um for instance one of the big one of the big issues uh nowadays across the nation and we even face it here in Mississippi uh with 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 the state hospital turning out all of these uh mental patients that once they time out, they're just released back into society. I hear a lot of law enforcement officers say, What well, what do we do? I mean, when they're acting out, when they're when they're being belligerent, and noncompliant, but but it's not that there's this criminal element that's motivating them to do this, but but there's a disconnect from reality because there are mental issues. Doesn't it put law enforcement officers at a disadvantage? what what are some things that you think need to be put into place that the legislature can help enact that will give these officers some ability or somebody to call and say hey maybe we're dealing with a subject that 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 uh that's not a criminal but uh that that uh, is having some mental issues because you and I know that our law enforcement officers they're they're not trained on these issues
2: right yeah we have we have to be not just law enforcement officers, we have to be counselors, you know, we, we have to be medics. We have to be everything to everybody at, at any given time. And and it's a, it's a tough job. It takes a special person to, to put on that uniform and do it day after day. Because like I said, things evolve, your job evolves and you have to be prepared for anything and everything that comes across your, your call sheet.
1: Well, isn't it as far unf- as
2: legislation?
1: Go ahead. I'm sorry. Isn't it unfair, though, to put these officers in those positions and expecting them to make the right decision if there is no training in place whatsoever?
2: Absolutely. And that's the key thing is the training. They've got to get the training to understand how to deal with people with mental issues or drug dependencies. Those are key things with our criminal element right there, the top two, I would say. And what I was going to say as far as is legislation to back this kind of stuff up. You, first of all, we have to get legislators in there who have common sense, who have the compassion for what's happening in these neighborhoods. Just because it doesn't happen at their house or on their street doesn't mean it doesn't happen in this city or this state. It's happening. And, and it, you know, we're, we're having to deal with it with the best Ability that we can. Um, but having legislators in there who, who actually understand what's going on and they're willing to fight, you know, to make a change, and instead of being reactive to the bad situations that happen, get on the offensive and be proactive. Do things ahead of time to try to fix these things. We know that there are mental patients coming out, like you were saying, uh, that are timing out of these facilities. Let's find another. Another avenue for them instead of just putting them back on the street, whether they've been, you know, uh, cured of whatever ailments that they may be having at that time or not, there needs to be a better plan to acclimate these people back into society. And if it's not able to be done, there needs to be a better plan to seek further treatment for these people just releasing them on the street is a nothing situation for everybody. Um, it, it keeps our law enforcement tied up. It keeps crime numbers as high as possible. It keeps drug use on the go. I mean, so there there's no winning scenario in just putting, putting these people back on the street without, without the proper uh, treatment that they, that they should be getting. <laughs> and, you know, having, Career politicians in there who who never really—I uh, I think you said it earlier about you know never created anything, never never you know had to do a payroll or you know hire somebody. You know they're detached from, from reality in, in these communities, and that's why we need better representation in in office as our political uh, leaders. They need to be truck drivers. They need to be everyday people. Mechanics, um, you know, they can't just be comprised of people with law degrees or with lots of money. It, you know, it it needs to represent the same demographic of what you have in this country, and not everybody is a lawyer, you know, um, or or just rich. <laughs> so, getting the common person in there, I think, would have a better understanding and be able to say, well. You know, if you want to put legislation here to take away funds from this law, you know our law enforcement agencies across the state because of this issue or that issue, you can have somebody in there who actually lives those scenarios and lives through those issues and say and can say no, that's not right. That's not going to work for our community. The people that voted to put me here are not going to want to see our law enforcement, our security of our city or our state reduced because you found a a loophole or an issue that doesn't even apply to us. So it it needs to be revamped in in a major way. We've got a lot of good people that are running for office this this round, Um, a lot of people with a lot of good common sense, and I think they're going to make a big difference if we can get these people elected. It's just You know, we've got to get the the voters to wake up. Pay attention and bet these candidates. Look into them. Find the candidate that you know has the same values or is willing to fight for the same values that you have. And then put your support behind that candidate. Tell your family about them. Tell your friends about them. Support them by making financial uh, donations. That's what's going to make this this thing turn around. And that's what we've got to start doing to make a difference further on further down the road regarding all of these issues.
1: Let me ask you another question. It seems to me and again uh, in all transparency uh I act as one of the regional directors for uh Chris McDaniel's campaign for lieutenant governor. So so that being said I'm I'm part of his campaign. Uh But there is something that that I do struggle with. There's something that that bothers me. And and that's this, is that in the Republican Party, we tend to focus on Republicans. But we, we concede defeat in Democrat areas. We don't want to take our message to Democrat districts. We're not looking to take and sell our message to young minority Democrats and show them the benefits of conservatism and how conservatism can benefit them. We shy away from that. But the liberals are not scared to come after our children. They're not scared to come and try to indoctrinate our young people. But yet we shy away and just say, well, they'll never vote Republican. What What are your thoughts on if our message is good and our message works and our message is beneficial to everybody, why are we not taking this message to those districts where as far as they're concerned? And the reason I say this is I talked to a man the other day and he said, Will, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I'll tell you why we vote Democrat. He said, because Democrats are the only ones that are coming to our neighborhoods and knocking on our doors. He said, I don't see any Republicans coming and telling us that they want to help us. I don't see any Republicans knocking on our doors and offering us any other options. Now, as a conservative, that bothers me. That bothers me. What, what are your thoughts Uh, on on this behavior in the Republican Party, and what can we do to address it?
2: Well, as you said, you know, as a conservative, it it should bother everybody. It really should, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you you made a very, very valid point that they will do, the liberals will do what they can to try to indoctrinate our kids, but we don't act enough to, to try to show these people what the Republican Party is about. I think it's because we, we lack a political party with backbone. And, and and that's the nicest way I can, I can think to say it. Um, but you'll get me on the air. (laughs) Um, we've got, we've got to get people who are willing to fight. And, and there's going to be, there's, you know, the negative comes with the positive. As, as a Republican, you can go to every Republican function and, and, have people blow sunshine on you all day long but you're not reaching the the outside groups where where you can grow this party we've got to be able to take those chances step up and get into these communities and regardless of hearing the negative things that you're obviously going to hear because we've been away from those neighborhoods for far too long but until we get the backbone to get up and get in those neighborhoods and try to spread the word and try to spread some truth about what the Republican party is and what they're fighting for and how it can benefit every single individual in this country. Um, it's just going to continue in the same direction. We've got, like I said, we've got a lot of good people that, that are, that are running for office. I'm, I hope that they're listening. I hope that they decide to do this. I, I mean, I'll, I've put myself out there and I've subjected myself to some pretty harsh uh, comments. Um, and it's, it's not a pleasant thing to do. You know, when when you're running a campaign and you're trying to get elected, man, the, the positives are great. Getting said positive stuff, getting donations, those are a lot of feel-good stuff. But you got to understand that there's a lot of anger on the other side as well. And it's exactly what you said. We're not in those neighborhoods knocking on their doors trying to present what we stand on. I have, I have a much better ability to do that because of my skin color, because of my nationality. So I, I can get in the neighborhood, but once they find out it's an R beside my name, I get doors shut in my face. I get people to tell me to my face, look, my family is Democrat. We've always voted Democrat. And we always will vote, vote Democrat. Now, if you still want to talk to me, what have you got to say? That's a hard way to start a conversation, but you get over it and you find ways to to find a common ground. There's there. It's always there. The common ground is always there. It's up to us as a candidate, as a rep, true represent, representation of our community, to find what that common ground is and hone in on that and focus on those things. And try to bring bring them into that conversation. Because once you get a crack in the door, it opens the floodgate of opportunities for everything else. It's, It's gonna take people with some backbone, people with some guts to get up in these neighborhoods and and try to grow our party. I think we have a good opportunity to do that. If we'll some people who who will take that chance and try to speak to the other side and Except that it's not always going to be pleasant, but there are things that need to be said and there are things that need to be heard on both sides for, for this nation to work.
1: Absolutely. You know, and the truth of the matter is, and I say this as a God fearing conservative, and, and I know many conservatives out there that listen to this show, they're going to cringe when I say this, but it's the truth. And in conservatism, it's about the truth. Not what's uncomfortable, but the truth Mm -hmm. and the truth of the matter is this, is that all of the ideas of the Democrat Party are not bad. All the people in the Democrat Party are not bad. They're not all evil people. Now, those left wing liberal lunatics that have hijacked the Democrat Party, they're demonic, they're evil, they're tyrants. And they need to be defeated. But that being said, we don't demonize all the people that are voting Democrat or even some well-intentioned Democrats. But but the the problem comes in it is not it. We all want basically the same thing. It's how we get there is where we differ. Yes, how we get Absolutely. to prosperity. You can't get to prosperity through tax and spend. They believe that the more you tax, the more you spend, it's going to lead to, we, we don't believe that, but we all want the same things for our children. Now, I had a man, and you tell me your thoughts on this, but I had a man that said, you know what the problem is, is that young young, white voters and young minority voters, they're voting in the wrong parties, and they're voting against their own interest, and he said, young Black and Hispanic and Asian minorities should be voting Republican. And truthfully, young white people should be voting Democrat. Poor white people should be voting Democrat. And poor black and Hispanic people should be voting Republican. Because truthfully, he said, if you look at the suppression of the African-American community, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, he said that is when they thrived the most is when they depended upon entrepreneurship. Because uh, it, because of the way their community operated, they depended upon themselves, and ingenuity was to their advantage. They prospered. In spite of how they were treated, they prospered. They built their own restaurants, their own businesses, ran their own schools, and made good livings for them and their families. And he said, what we've done is we flipped the script. And he said, truthfully speaking, they're voting against their own interests. What are your thoughts on, on that, that line of thinking?
2: Well, I have to agree with it in, in a sense that um – you know, back in the day, Republican party was for, was fighting for the minorities, the black people. Um, and, and it was the, it was the Democrat party who was fighting against that. So, you know, there's, I think a, a good part of it lies with the education, um, of, of our students,
0: Absolutely. of our
2: young people. And we're we're missing the mark in making sure that these people are learning history the way that it, that it actually happened, as opposed to the way one side wants you to believe that it happened. I think if we can get back to uh, you know teaching it the way that it was intended, uh, we can we can probably open some eyes and open some minds to you know having some open com- conversations and having these young people be critical thinkers about what they are hearing and what they are seeing yes and make that decision on their own and I think that would go a, a very long way
1: well if you, but look we, at, if we,
2: if you missed the ball
1: yes well if you look at the model and the way it's set up in the Democratic Party Democrats want't their constituents to be dependent upon government. That's why they entice them with government programs. They want them to be dependent upon the nanny state. They want their God to be government. Come to us for your food. Come to us for your health care. Come to us for your needs. But the truth of the matter is, and you and I see this, but for those that break outside of that mindset, The amount of minorities that have become millionaires and billionaires in this country. When given an opportunity to be entrepreneurs, when being given an opportunity to be put in environments where they can excel in their trade, their craft or their giftings. But the Democrat Party does not really want that. They want them to be part of the generational curse of poverty. Don't go out and work. Don't don't go out and pursue. We'll just we'll feed you and clothe you and house you. It, it's a trap that's being set up for them. And, and, and we're failing to send the message of hey, let us let us help you build a pathway to thrive and to be prosperous and successful in this nation. But yet Republicans at every turn, we shy away from every opportunity to get that message out because we fear that, like you said, that slam door in our face or or, or the pushback that we get that we're going to get. But it's just like propagating the gospel. Listen, just because there's going to be pushback does not mean we don't have an obligation to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I look forward. I look forward. To the opportunity. I count it all joy. And, and it's the same way in politics. We, we, if we really believe that it's beneficial, that it works, that it's tried and true, then we have to do a better job. I commend you, Mr. Brooks, for, for taking the initiative to run for House District 118. Uh, our hopes and our prayers are with you. But, but folks, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to take more than hope and prayer. Like my bishop always said, if you don't put legs on them prayers, them, them prayers ain't getting far. My bishop always says, folks, if we're going to have revival, somebody's got to write a check because the lights have to stay on. The air condition has to function. we got to buy extra seats. The parking lights have to work. If we're going to have revival, somebody's got to invest in revival. And if we're going to have economic revival, if we're going to have – a, a political revival in this state. Somebody has to write a check. Mr. Brooks, tell our listeners, what 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 are some of the main things your campaign needs in order to defeat this incumbent and to see you elected?
2: Well, you know, I, I think it, there's a couple of things. The support of the public is going to be huge. Um, people need to be paying attention to who it is that, that's running and why they're running and get behind those candidates. Um, these campaigns, like you said, they, they don't move on their own. It takes a lot of money to be able to get signs, to be able to make events through it around the city. Um, and, and to get your word out there so that more and more people can be exposed to the reasons that you're fighting for them and understand that. Um, if we're going to be able to reach as many people as possible, it's going to take money, and, and that's what I'm going to need is for people to support me, not just, um, you know, uh, on, on the campaign side and showing up uh, for for voting, but we need support, financial support in our, in our campaigns as well to make sure that we're able to reach as many people as possible uh, to make sure that we get this done.
1: Now what are the boundary lines of that uh, district one eighteen there? What, what 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 cities, what locations does that encompass?
2: 118 primarily encompasses everything east of the Biloxi International Airport all the way to the Biloxi line and from Highway 90 all the way up to the interstate. And then there's a section up in north of the interstate as, as well from redistricting that is now in this in this district. Um, I'll be for sure knocking on doors, putting flyers on, in every one of those areas here in the next couple of weeks. Um, so be looking for those. Um, but yes, uh, it, it, whether whether they live in this district or not, getting support from everybody everywhere makes a big difference. You know, uh, you've got to support those people that have the same values that you do, no matter where they are.
1: Absolutely. Because when
2: we get when we end up in Jackson, we're not just fighting for a small thing of a city. We're we're hoping to be able to push legislation that's gonna make difference for everybody in this state. And that's what's going to be important. So that's what they need to keep in mind. It's not it's not just one area that these, these people are representing. It's it's gonna be the entire state on a lot of this legislation. So keep that in mind.
1: So your district encompasses all the nineteen hundred block and all that of Pops Ferry Road They're they're in Biloxi. Yeah. So uh, uh, Not
2: in Biloxi. It's just, the, just to the Biloxi line.
1: Just to the Biloxi line. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Um. We need your money. We need you to invest in these campaigns. We need you to invest in these candidates. It's an uphill battle. Man, it's easy, uh, he said it in the beginning of this conversation, it's so easy for people to just be lethargic and lackadaisical. They go in, they see an eye beside their name, and they just say, well, if they were good enough before, they're, they're worth voting for again. We're not there to just keep empowering incumbents. We run these primaries for a reason. If they're not doing their job, we replace them. So we need you to reach out to Mr. Brooks. i got friends in in, in your area and uh, we're going to reach out to them and get them to uh, make some donations to your campaign. And uh, tell the folks, uh, give us your website, give us your Facebook, and tell us how they can go about uh, making those contributions.
2: Well, they can they can find everything they need to know about my campaign at wwwbrooks brooksformississippi.com, mscom brooks mississippicom And um, there's links in that webpage to my Facebook and all my social media sites there's several different ways of contacting me, um, uh, what, you know, through the site. And if you have questions, if you want to donate, if you want to volunteer for time, anything of that nature as far as campaigning, or even if you just have questions uh, that we weren't able to answer here and that you want to know more about, if you don't see it there on the website, by all means, reach out, let me know, rooks4ms.com.
1: There you have it, folks. Reach out, support them, pray for them. Write a check, get involved, help knock doors, help them get the message out. Like you said, you don't have to live in this district. If you say, look, uh, we we only have $200 to invest to, to give to a campaign. You know what you do? You take that money and you divide it up amongst all those campaigns and all those conservatives. Send them all a little bit of money. If we'll all pitch in a little bit together, we can win these races. Mr. Brooks, Absolutely. I sure do appreciate you taking your time to visit with us. Again, Raymond Brooks, and he is running from Mississippi House District 118. And you can go to OpenStates.org to look see if uh, you're in his district. And uh, again, folks, uh, there's a lot of primaries taking place across this state, and we need to send some people home, and we need fresh blood up there on the floor of the Capitol. God bless you. Until we meet again, may the Lord be with you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Mississippi Matters. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as other streaming platforms. Please share this episode with others. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch with us on Facebook or visit us online at www.mymississippimatters.com.